Hello and welcome to Armchair Detectives Wanted. This week we are covering two real-life Court of Appeal cases. The names and dates have been changed, but the circumstances are true. You must decide if the convictions are safe. This is episode 15. I was at the fish and chip shop. And the second case is Hard Done By. Thank you for taking the time to listen. Before we start, I will just issue a warning. This podcast may include content that some could find upsetting. It may also contain offensive language. As with all these cases, they are real life events. So please be aware that the crimes have had an impact on the family and friends of the victim. In this week's cases, you will be in charge of the Court of Appeal. It will be for you to decide if a miscarriage of justice has occurred or if the conviction is safe. Listen to the evidence and then make your decision. Case 1. I was at the fish and chip shop. The accused Vardy was convicted of wounding with intent, possession of an imitation firearm with intent to cause fear of violence and violent disorder. He was sentenced to a total of 10 years imprisonment. He is now appealing his conviction. The circumstances of the offence are as follows. CCTV captured a BMW being driven in London. The CCTV shows three males entering a housing estate. Suspect one is identified as Brown. He pleaded guilty at court to possession of a knife and violent disorder. Suspect two remains unidentified. He can be seen on CCTV carrying a large knife. Suspect 2 then charges toward a friend of the victim Smith. Smith intervenes and removes Suspect 2 from his friend. At this point Suspect 3, who the prosecution states is Vardy, produces a carrier bag in the shape of a firearm. The victim, Smith, tries to wrestle the gun away from Vardy. During this altercation, Vardy stabs Smith in the head. The prosecution case is that Suspect 3, who produced the imitation firearm and stabbed the victim, is the accused Vardy. At court, Vardy denied any involvement in the offence and denied he was even at the scene. He said he was probably somewhere else, maybe working at his uncle's fish and chip shop. The case for the prosecution was that Vardy, along with Brown and one other, made their way to the location with the intention to commit the offence. They were intent on threatening violence against the opposing group which included the victim, Smith. They had isolated the victim before Vardy threatened Smith with an imitation firearm and stabbed him in the head. The prosecution stated that Vardy was one of the three on the CCTV. His DNA had also been located in the BMW and he was wearing distinctive clothing at the time of the offence, which was later located at his home address. In addition, the prosecution relied heavily on the identification of Vardy by PC Turner. PC Turner stated he had been on duty and had seen photographs of the incident. He said he could identify one of the males involved. He in fact identified suspect one, Brown. Two days after viewing the photographs, while on duty with another officer, he saw a BMW which was linked to Brown. 
on seeing the officers Brown and other males present made their way into a nearby flat. The officers pursued them, gained access to the flat and arrested Brown. At this point, one of the males in the flat asked the officers for the phone Brown had in his possession. The officers refused. The officers stated that the male who had asked for the phone, he immediately recognised as Suspect 3 Vardy. He said Vardy had a distinctive beard around the lip and jawline. However, Vardy escaped from the officers. Vardy was later traced and arrested. He was placed on an identification parade. PC Turner viewed the identification parade and picked out the accused Vardy. The distinctive top and shoes worn by Suspect 3 on the CCTV were recovered from the home address of Vardy. In addition, his beard on the custody photograph was shaped in the same way as that of the offender on CCTV. Vardy accepted that he had previously been in the BMW belonging to Brown as they were friends, which is why his DNA was present. The case was put before the court and a jury convicted Vardy. The defence now states that the conviction is unsafe. Firstly, there is no direct witness evidence. No one who was present at the time of the offence or who witnessed the offence identified Vardy as the one who was carrying the imitation firearm or the person who stabbed the victim. There is no evidence produced before the court of the knife used in the offence or the imitation firearm. Neither have been recovered. With regard to the DNA evidence which links Vardy to the BMW, this is not in dispute. Vardy admits to being an associate of Brown and admits to being in the vehicle previously. The fact he is linked to the vehicle does not mean he was in it at the time of the offence. There is no witness evidence putting Vardy in the vehicle when this offence was commissioned. The CCTV re recorded the incident confirms that the person PC Turner identified as Vardy never removed his hood during the incident. There is no forensic evidence on the clothing of Vardy to suggest he was involved in the matter. His clothing does not contain any DNA from the victim. In fact, there is no forensic evidence to link Vardy to the victim at all. PC Turner's evidence of identification is disputed. In his evidence, he did not state he had viewed the CCTV. He stated he had viewed images that had been produced from the CCTV. If, when the jury viewed the CCTV, they believe this is similar to Varda, then this is not sufficient. If this is the case, any identification evidence should be dismissed. In addition, if the jury feel that the CCTV was not of sufficient quality to make an identification, then the identification evidence of PC Turner should be dismissed. We do not feel there is sufficient evidence to ensure this conviction is safe. It is now for you to decide. Is the conviction safe or should it be quashed? Case 2, Hard Dunby, refers to the accused Porter appealing a conviction and sentence length. The accused Porter appeared at court and pleaded guilty to the five offences he was charged with, along with his co-accused. 
he is now appealing one of those convictions and the length of sentence he received for all the offences. The circumstances of the offences are as follows. They occurred between the 31st of July and the 1st of August. On the 31st of July, a vehicle was stolen from the owner. The owner reported it stolen the following morning. The co-accused of Porter, Richardson, received a call from a female to pick her up. She asked if he would collect her and her two friends. Richardson collected the two females and their friend Porter. A short while later, the vehicle was spotted by police and a short pursuit followed. The two women exited the vehicle and Richardson drove away. At about 11.30pm that evening, Richardson and Porter drove the vehicle to a nearby housing estate. They entered the premises wearing balaclavas. The occupants of the address, two males, were unknown to Richardson and Porter. At the time, Richardson was holding a jerry can containing petrol and a lighter. The owner of the property awoke to find the two unknown men in his house. He was asked where the other occupant was and pointed to the other bedroom. At this point, Porter armed himself with a knife from the kitchen. Both Richardson and Porter stated the occupants owed money. When they stated they did not know about owing any money, Richardson threatened to throw petrol on them and set them on fire. Richardson told both occupants to sit on the bed. He asked if they had any valuables. They said they didn't. At this point, Richardson took the iPhone belonging to one of the men. He made one of them tie the hands and legs together of the other with a charging cable. Porter made his way to the CCTV control box and smashed it. Richardson began searching the house while Porter kept guard over the two men. The occupants offered to hand over all the money they had if Porter and Richardson would leave. Richardson returned saying he was taking the camera and the car. The two occupants were speaking quietly to each other when Richardson told them if they continued he would slit their throats. At this point Porter held a knife towards one of the male's throat. One of the occupants managed to escape from his shackles and run from the house. He went to a neighbour and called the police. The other occupant remained in the house with his dog. At this point, Porter started to pour petrol on the occupant and his dog, threatening to set them on fire. Porter then lit the lighter, which caused the occupant to kick Porter in the stomach and flee the house. Richardson and Porter left the property, stealing the occupant's vehicle. The initial court appearance did not establish any intoxication through alcohol or drugs for Porter. This meant he acted with full knowledge of his actions. At the time this offence was committed, Porter was on bail for other matters. Porter was 31 years of age while Richardson was 20. Richardson pleaded guilty to all offences at the earliest opportunity. Porter allowed the trial to progress and only pleaded guilty after the victims had given evidence in court. When being sentenced, Richardson gave evidence indicating his remorse for the offences and his desire for rehabilitation. Porter did not provide any oral evidence at court and did not show any remorse. At this appeal, Porter now states that at the time of the offences were being committed, he was a drug addict and was also suffering with his mental health. It is now for you to decide, is the conviction safe? Is Porter guilty of theft of the phone? Or was it just Richardson? If they are deemed to be acting together, then Porter is guilty.
Has Porter been treated unfairly with regard to the sentence he received compared to that of Richardson? If so, would you reduce his sentence accordingly? If not, why not? Please visit our Facebook page, Armchair Detectives Wanted, where you will be able to discuss your theories and views with other members. Week 15 of our scenario. Smith is arrested and his home address is searched. A pair of shoes with a similar tread pattern to the prints found at the scene are recovered. The search dog has identified clothing which may contain blood. His phone and computer have been recovered. He is interviewed and makes no comment. You can have him in custody for a maximum of 24 hours before applying for a superintendent's extension. He has now been detained for 22 hours. You have two hours in which to decide your options. Your time is running out. What are you going to do? A. Keep him in custody and apply for a superintendent's extension for a further 12 hours. B. Bail him with condition to return to the police station. C. Release him. D. Release him and put him under surveillance. E. Keep him in custody for the final two hours and hope you'll get some evidence to charge him. Thank you for listening to Armchair Detectives Wanted. You are one of the team. Remember, don't just listen, be involved. We really would appreciate you recommending our podcast to others. We look forward to you joining us next week for episode 16, The Grim Reaper's Gate.